If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And friends, today in this episode, we are going to be talking with Marie Gress, and we're going to be chatting with her about communication and supervision. So let me share with you just a little bit about Marie. First of all, she is the founder of Cover, which provides consulting services as well as online training and resources for nonprofits. And most of her work has a very special focus on serving those individuals who are older adults. She, by the way, has also proven that social workers change the world. And she does that today, not just through cover, but also by really embodying the belief that change happens at the intersection of capacity, competency, and community. Marie holds both a BSW and MSW. And uh, listeners, in case you don't remember, I have a BSW, my graduate degrees in something else. And I tell people all the time, I wish I would have gotten the MSW instead. So I am very, very happy to be able to introduce Marie to the podcast. Hey, Marie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Dolph. Oh, I'm I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. And I also just want to note that I, I know in social work, you know, you have a BSW, I have a BSW, and we sort of learned from the very first time we do a practicum or internship, the importance of communication and supervision. And I thought that might be sort of a good place for us to start. Yeah. So in social work, in case you listeners aren't aware, we are required to have one hour of supervision every week from the time that we are in internship up until we have full licensure. It is required. And if I can jump in, even those with full licensure who are really committed to ongoing improvement and being the best professional they can, pay someone for supervision. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some of my clients do exactly that. Right. Exactly. So I just had to jump in like, yeah, it, it's important for interns. It's important for entry-level social workers. But even after they have five, six, 10 years of practice, there's still a lot of social workers that say, I need that supervision and I'm going to pay for it. Well, you just know that the the person that you're meeting with has 
this wisdom or this experience that you want to glean from and apply to your own work so you can be better. You can have more impact um, with the people that you're serving. And also, frankly, you know, has that outside perspective. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. we can't see the forest for the trees and they can. They're like, oh, look, you're inside the middle of a forest. Let's talk about that. Yeah, when we look at supervision in the social work programs that I'm a part of, we look at mentorship being a part of that time, professional development being part of that time. There's an administrative piece, right? Like checking off your to-dos, getting questions answered. And then and then this consulting, this outside person looking in and giving you some good guidance. Marie, I feel pretty confident that your social work training and experience really uniquely qualifies you to work with organizations that maybe are struggling around some communication and supervision issues. Yeah. One agency that I worked with this past year, initially, they reached out to me because they wanted their their staff to talk to someone about how they were feeling about their work, where the organization was going, some job description stuff, where processes could be improved. That's some of the work that, that we do. And really quickly, one of the key leaders, the executive director, was having this problem with communication, management, and supervision. Um, These are really key parts of of their duties, especially in the size of agency. I think it was six or seven staff at the time. And based on their organizational chart, the executive director was supposed to be supervising all of those people, which is already a lot. Um, But this person was really struggling with their supervision duties in particular, the staff were commenting on how they didn't feel supported. They were unclear about if they were going in the right direction. They were feeling some of their own job duties shift to other people based on how this executive director was feeling about them personally. And some of those things were were all interfering with what this executive director was supposed to be doing and supervision could have helped a lot of those issues on both sides. I'm so glad that you shared that. And one of the things that I also think about, and I guess I kind of want to be careful that we not pathologize those managers and executive directors who aren't doing that because so often as organizations, as boards, we promote someone who's been an individual contributor and has been an incredibly successful individual contributor to Mm -hmm. a management position. And then we don't provide them with the coaching, training, support necessary to be a good manager, to communicate well and to supervise well. And then we scratch our heads and we're like, why? Why isn't this person everything we thought they could be? Yeah. And I'll say that this board loved this this executive director. This person had did exactly what you said. They had been a part of the agency since inception, worked their way up. And one of the reasons the board brought me in was this final cry for help. We know that we probably need to part ways at some point with this person if this doesn't improve, but we're really helping. You can help this person improve in their communication, to have good, solid supervision styles that are going to help the team and the organization continue to grow. And so that was part of the conversation that I had with that executive director, just being very honest about, hey, 
We've gone through all of the staff interviews, the board interviews, talked to some of your subcontractors. And one of the patterns that we're finding in the processes that need to be improved is the supervision that you're providing to your team. And I need to know, are you willing to change? Are you willing to to get this feedback from me? work towards these goals, adopt these templates that I have, and follow our accountability structure going forward. Real quick, I have to share with you, I recently had that conversation with both an executive director and the person's board where I had to say, look, if you're not committed to change, anything I might do is going to be a waste of my time and your time and the organization's money. So let's, let's just decide that now. Mm-hmm. And this person initially said that she wanted to change. Uh, she felt like these goals and objectives were were doable, especially with the accountability that I was going to be providing, the structure I was going to be providing. But I will say she had a, a personal thing happen in her life that made her want to just retire early. So what we ended up doing, because this organization is still struggling with the impact this executive director had with some of their lack of of management, I helped hire their next executive director and I continued to provide coaching to them from an external perspective. This is what's been happening. These are the some of the things that we've recommended change. You probably need to get used to what's happening right now and decide which things you want to implement and how quickly and, and all of those things. And so we really worked with that person to set them up for success going forward. And it sounds like this board really kind of learned a little bit too and said, okay, we're going to bring on this new executive director and we're going to provide some coaching and some support so that they can get started right. And so one of my questions, I'm hoping we're going to talk about some of the structure. What are, what were some of the structures that you recommended to this executive director and you would recommend to other managers that they should have in place for strong communication and supervision? Yeah. So one thing is when you do do group meetings that you have an agenda in place. So your team members know what they're supposed to bring to this meeting and what needs to wait until individual supervision time with a manager. And so there was a little structure that needed to happen there. They needed to change the frequency of those meetings and the length of those meetings. They had been meeting for about two hours with no agenda, first thing Monday morning. And people, it wasn't working for their particular team and the work that they had to get done. So we moved those to Tuesday afternoons. They met for an hour and a half with that agenda, those points to get through. The team felt like they could talk about group projects instead of giving individual updates because the other structure that we put in place is an every other week minimum meeting with staff. Before we go to individual meetings, can we talk some more about those group or staff meetings? Yeah, of course. I actually have to reflect with you when you talked about they moved it from Monday to Tuesday. A few years ago, I was doing an interim, and I always have to remind myself that every organization is different, and every organization's culture, and the people in it are going to want something different. And so we were doing a senior leadership team. It was a about a $6 million organization. And so, you know, they had a, a decent-sized senior leadership team. And we were doing a senior leadership team meeting. It was like Tuesday mornings at 7.30 a.m. And after a few of them, someone, and this is an organization that had not traditionally had senior leadership team meetings. And after a few of them, someone said to me, you know, Dolph, these kind of feel like punishment. Could we do it some other time? 
And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Of course, we can do it some other time. But so I, I found it interesting that you said, okay, that did not really work and we had to move it. Because I, in my own life, I've seen that happen. But let's talk about the agenda of like that, that group meeting. What, what, what should a typical agenda for that staff meeting look like? So depending on the team and because this was a smaller team and they often had overlapping projects, I like to start them off with just a check. How are you feeling? <laughs> How was your weekend? So that's a little bit of rapport thing, right? How was your weekend? Anything fun that you want to share? Not everyone likes to share about their personal life and that's fine. So you can also just share how you're feeling in general. I feel rested now. I feel ready for the week now. Um, I'm still feeling overwhelmed from everything that hung over from Friday. So a nice little check-in time to get started. And I don't take terribly long with, with those. Just enough for, for people to get warmed up to the, the group environment. Depending on the group that I'm working with, they could either go right into some of their uh, report outs. So this particular group, each staff member is in charge of a different set of projects. But again, there's a lot of overlap uh, support between all the staff. And so this is where we're at on our project. And these are the updates. Um, you know, there's this other meeting coming up, you know, calendar things that you kind of want to make sure everyone is aware of and keep it brief because some of that can be in an email, right? <laughs> and then we end with brainstorming. So depending again on, on what your team is working on, um, and the frequency of your meetings, brainstorming can be a really great way to end these discussions. It ends up being very exciting for many of your team members. Maybe not everyone is into brainstorming, but it gets really good energy going um, that can be carried through the rest of the week. Hmm, I like that. Thank you. That That is incredibly helpful. Now, as we move to those individual one-on-one -on -one meetings... How do you structure those? Yeah, so where the leadership is usually making the agenda for the group meetings, the team meetings, I like to have the employees or the interns, whoever you're meeting with individually, that person bring the agenda. It's supervising up or managing up, right? Where the individual who is working on something and has questions brings that to the meeting. They are prepared to, to get everything they can out of their supervisor in that beautiful 45 minutes to an hour they have together. I usually recommend that those happen every other week, maybe more often or less often, depending on a variety of circumstances within your organization. And if I can just jump in, that that's something that I've been doing for years, probably actually since social work school, whenever I've managed is asking the person that I supervise to bring the agenda. And what I love that about that, and, and by the way, when I do interim executive director work, I, I put together the agenda for my meetings with the board chair. And so whether I'm being supervised or I'm supervising, what I love about that is it's so empowering for the person who's being supervised. It's like you get to set the agenda and you also get to decide how you're going to present that item. So it's not it's not the supervisor coming to me going, Dolph, there's three things we need to talk about and we're very, you know, this is a concern, et cetera. No, if I'm having an issue, I get to decide how I want to present it. Do I want to present it in a strengths-based way? Do, how do I want to do that? And that's really empowering. Yeah, and I've talked with my interns once they've been in their 
big kid jobs for a year or so, I follow back up and I just, hey, how's it going? Uh, do you want to get coffee, video chat? Um, and a lot of them will tell me that this practice that we have where they came with their agenda put them leaks ahead of some of their peers in their new job because they are comfortable asking questions. They are comfortable giving feedback. They are comfortable having that dialogue with somebody above them. And so it ends up setting them up for really good success beyond your time together. Absolutely. And and gosh, this is now several years ago, but I realized that I was doing agendas wrong as an executive director, my agenda with the board chair. And I started to do it differently, and it made such a difference. And what I was doing wrong for years is I'd put together a Word document, and literally each week, or if we were meeting every other week, there would be a new Word document. And I was like, you know, I should instead use an Excel document, and each tab is the next meeting. And then also writing a brief description of what we discussed, what we agreed to, who was going to follow up, et cetera. And what I've found so helpful about that is then instead of us having at the end of two years, a hundred different documents that we have to track. There was one document. And if we were ever like, wait, what did we talk about three months ago? Literally, I could just flip back some tabs and go, oh, here it is. Let's review what we talked about. And it was so helpful for me, again, like in my work with the board chair, but also for people who I've worked with um, who've wanted to use that as well. It's so helpful for them when I'm like, I don't remember what we took as the supervisor when I say, I don't remember what we talked about three months ago. And we can just go back and look at it instead of looking through a hundred different Word documents trying to find. Yeah. And if you're working with an agency as a consultant or outside hire, it ends up being a really good deliverable, right? Like a a work plan or continuity plan, whatever great name you want to give that deliverable when you uh, pass that off as the work that you guys have completed together. I've done a very similar thing with my interns. They start seeing all of the progress that they have made. And again, very empowering to see, oh, this is where I started and this is everything I've actually accomplished, even though it's been kind of feeling slow. So let me ask you about frequency. How often do you recommend, you know, you do supervision with your direct reports? So with my interns, currently all my interns are social work students. And so we do do it every week. Um, And then once a month, we'll skip our individual supervision for a group supervision. When I've worked with um, smaller agencies, we might do, I'm working right now with an agency that has three staff um, and they just hired an executive director. We will do a monthly group meeting and we'll do a monthly individual meeting. Larger organizations with larger teams, more projects going on, I do recommend that you meet more often, especially if you have new people on your team who aren't comfortable coming to ask questions yet. Like they don't know what to ask and so they they hold back. Um, They're not sure who to ask, so they hold back. And so when you have a new hire, um, I do also recommend that you increase that frequency. Um, The first week, check in with them two or three times. The next week, one to two times. The next couple weeks, once. And then you kind of get a feeling of, of what that frequency needs to be between the two of you. And let me ask, when you're working with an organization that's not currently doing regularly scheduled supervision, do you ever encounter resistance from managers or direct reports? Like, oh, we don't we don't really need these meetings. This seems like more meetings. It's more work. We don't want to do this. 
Yeah, definitely. So managers don't always like the idea because they're managing multiple people. And so now you're adding, let's say you're managing five people. Now you just added two and a half to five hours of work every week and they ha- nothing else has changed. And so that feels like a lot to them. With some of the direct reports, they've liked their autonomy. They like being able to do... They've really uh, learned how to work the system really well. So they don't have to do all these extra meetings and the extra work and all of that. Um, Once we find the frequency and the structure that works for both, you see the growth. You see the improvement. But let me ask you, how do you facilitate that change so that people embrace it and don't just say, okay, we were told we have to do it. Now we're going to do it. So I have done um, the first meeting, maybe two, with the supervisor and the direct report, just helping to facilitate this is what you can do in this time. This is what, you know, this is another question to ask. Hey, manager, uh, so-and-so was asking me about, you know, meal counts or um, printing off how often you want this report printed off. You know, if you want narratives with it, you know, those types of things and facilitating that conversation. Then they start to see like, oh, this actually saves a lot of emails. If I can just like spout off all my questions all at once and then get it taken care of. And you see you see those light bulb moments. I'll meet a few more times with them if there's already some sort of performance improvement plan in place that needs a little extra coaching. One of the ways that I've also sometimes sold it to managers, and I've used this when I manage people, is I'm also able, you know, if someone brings an issue to me and it's really not on fire, I'm able to say, you know, is that something we could add to our agenda for next week's meeting? And, and then eventually people get trained. Oh, okay, if it's not on fire, we don't have to talk about it right now. We don't have to interrupt our days. We can all do our productive deep think work. Have you seen the Eisenhower method for decision-making? I have the matrix. Yeah, the matrix. Yeah. Do you want to describe that? Sure. So you have these up and down lines. So it makes a cross, right? At the, the top is what is most important. And at the bottom is what's least important. And then on the crossway, you have what is most urgent and what is least urgent. And that really helps decide what I need to bring to my supervisor now and what can wait. What do I need to talk to my direct report about now and what can wait? How to manage projects and and things of that nature. And of course, what we know is the most effective organizations spend most of their time on the least urgent, most important stuff. Because the most urgent, most important stuff is a fire. And it's difficult to manage in a fire. No, I love, love that matrix. The other thing that I've found really useful, and I'm curious if you've used this, is, and Lexi, my colleague Lexi and I, we do this. We have a weekly check-in. And we always start with a generative question, you know, which is a question that doesn't have a right or wrong answer, but helps us be creative and explore a topic. And so, you know, uh, it it could be, for example, something like, um, what if we doubled our confidence or doubled our humility? And then we just explore that. And, And kind of the way we do it is one week, she'll bring a generative question. And then the next week, I get to bring the generative question. So that way, once again, like neither of us is running the agenda and like, okay, this is always going to be the generative question, but also neither of us is like setting the other person up. And we found generative questions to be so useful, not just in thinking 
getting started thinking creatively at the beginning of our meeting, but also, frankly, for relationship building. There are times that, like, like we learn so much about each other just by talking about that question. That is so great. I love that. What are other questions you guys have used? So another question that I really, really like is, let's imagine we both get pushed out of successful nonprofits and someone else comes in tomorrow. What three things would they change in the first month? Ooh. Yeah. You know, so it really requires them that we'd be self-reflective and we'd be self-aware and we think, okay, you know, what would someone with a fresh pair of eyes go, yeah, this doesn't work. Let's do something different. That for me is an incredible, incredible generative question. Another one that we've used that was a really interesting one is what other organization could we compare ourselves to at any point in time or history? So the point is not to think like, oh, you know, we're a consulting firm, covers a consulting firm, we'd compare ourselves to them. It's really to right. think a little, a little more creatively than that, you know. So who would we compare ourselves to? For example, would we compare ourselves to the advisor of a president's court or cabinet? Would we compare ourselves to that maybe? Do you know what I mean? It's like maybe that's where we compare ourselves, not necessarily to another consulting firm. But again, it allows us to really think creatively. And I'll share with you part of what we came up with when we talked about that is, is you know, we're kind of an association as well. You know, we're a consulting mm-hmm. firm, but we, we end up with such deep relationships with our clients and we connect our clients and we do like group meetings and book clubs mm-hmm. and things like that. And we're mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're almost we're almost like an association in addition to being a consulting practice. And and so that for us was a really generative question that got us thinking in ways that we otherwise would not have. That's wonderful. As I say this, I'm starting to realize I should probably use those when I supervise people as an interim executive director because I'm not currently starting meetings for that. So shame on me. I should do that. <laughs> Which, by the way, Marie, is shows that you're a really great social worker because you asked me a few questions and you helped me realize, oh, here's what I could do better. The last question I've really got around supervision is what about the follow-up? How do you recommend direct reports and the manager follow up from that weekly or biweekly or monthly supervision? So if you're keeping track using your Excel sheet method, I would put the follow-up steps just right on there. And ideally, this is a doc that's that's shared like a Google Doc or Microsoft has their online sharing stuff now. I use ClickUp for my project management, my supervision, and some of those things. And so it's it's clear who is supposed to do what and when we expect it by. Oftentimes, we expect it by the next supervision time, but sometimes they're more immediate that we need to finish up a grant or finish up, you know, something else like that. And and so I hear you. And I also know that I'm one of those weirdos in the nonprofit sector that really loves Excel. Most people don't. So what about those of us that don't have that spreadsheet and we don't have ClickUp? Yeah. Sometimes I've done an email So as we're meeting, I will take notes or my supervisee uh, will be taking notes. And in that email, we'll have, you know, we talked about X and this is the follow-up step. We're going to touch base on this at the next supervision or some of those things. So there does need to be some sort of paper trail, especially if we start talking about managing projects or professional improvement plans. You do need to have that paper trail. It's, it's really effective in making sure things are being followed up on. That makes sense. I like that. Thank you. Um, Marie, I have to share with you, I could keep talking with you for another 30 minutes on this, but I also want to be 
really respectful of your time. And, and we really try to keep the podcast to about 35 or 40 minutes. And so I want to move us to the off the map question. And right. so my question is, the name of your consulting practice is Cover, and it's spelled K-O-V-I-R. I have a feeling there's a story behind that. It is not the most exciting story. So when I initially started my company, it was a side hustle to do grant writing for small nonprofits in my area. Um, And so we started with Cover Page. Um, Cover Page spelled the regular way was taken. And so we, we just changed around a couple of letters and thought we were clever and cute, which is not something I always recommend for naming your business, but I did. So we stuck with it. Over time, we grew into doing more program development, evaluation, um, this supervision, communication, uh, management pieces for nonprofits. And we added these other divisions. So we were going cover tech, cover org. And then I was like, this is nuts. This is too many names, too many things to keep track of. Let's just take it down to cover and that will cover us all. And so um, we decided to go down to cover. When I looked it up actually to make sure that no one already had just cover, I did find out that it is a mountain in a video game that I I played when I was pregnant. It was my pregnancy video game. And so I thought that was pretty cool. And I'll probably always remember that. That's awesome. (laughs) But was not intentional. Yeah. I have to say it's a very unique name and it's one that stands out. And friends, once you see it in print, you're going to always remember and be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to remember that K-O-V-I-R. Well, Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. And I just want to share your URL so our listeners can reach out and find out more about you. So not surprisingly, listeners, the URL is cover, K-O-V-I-R dot org. That's cover, K-O-V-I-R dot org. And if you go to cover dot org forward slash Marie, you can schedule a chat with Marie so that you could actually troubleshoot some of the supervision and or communication issues that you're having in your organization. Also at cover.org, you can access free resources. You can join the waiting list for upcoming releases of her next edition of Grant Writing for Novices, as well as get a slew of materials about supervision so that you can improve your own supervision practice. Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Dolph. All right, listeners, don't forget, if you need that URL, if somehow you forget the spelling of cover between now and when you're at a computer, You can just go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and we will have that URL there. Additionally, if this was an episode that helped you in your practice as a manager or a supervisor or helped you as a direct report to think about ways that you could better manage up with your supervisor, there are two other episodes I want you to consider downloading and listening to. The first is episode 169, The Ripple Effect with Natasha Wallace. If you may recall, uh, that's also the name of Natasha's book. And it's really each chapter, and there's probably 50 or 60 chapters in that book. Each chapter is another way that you can build community and strengthen communication in your nonprofit while still helping yourself and others take care of themselves. And the second episode that I'd suggest you maybe listen to is episode 65, Empathic. Empathic Management in the Nonprofit Sector with Carrie Rice. Because let's face it, if you're going to be doing 
regularly scheduled supervision with people, you want to do it in a way that really embodies empathy and care and concern. You really want to care authentically. And episode 65 with Carrie Rice will help you do that. And finally, friends, my big ask of you is please rate and review this podcast and share it with someone who you know. That is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. And the lawyers always make me say it. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney. And neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. I actually get a little tired of saying it, but they really do require that I say this. This show is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, and accounting advice. Please, if that is what you need, find a licensed, qualified professional in your area and get the counsel that you or your organization needs.